1: George Santos, congressman from New York. He's a Republican and probably the most famous member of the House of Representatives right now. They're obsessed with him, brand new congressman, but he does bring a lot of controversy to the table, doesn't he? Well, he uh, spoke with us this afternoon. I had a conversation with him at about five o'clock this afternoon and uh, take a look. We are joined tonight by brand-new Congressman George Santos, Republican of New York, Long Island specifically. Look at this, a decisive victory over a very well-funded opponent. And that blue district went to red. (laughs) Uh, That was one hell of a victory. Now, ever since he's gotten to Congress, however, well, certain questions have been raised, Uh, we're familiar. We'll get to those in a moment, but uh, look at the media attention around this freshman congressman. It's pretty wild. And he joins us once again, Congressman Santos. Welcome to Newsmax. How are you?
2: Greg, thank you for having me.
1: You bet. And actually, I'm first off curious. How are you? I'm pretty good. And how are you able to get anything done with all those people uh, shadowing you? Are you able to get anything done given the pressure and the attention uh, that you're facing right now?
2: You know, Greg, a lot of people have opinions and a lot of people want to say a lot of things. Here's, Here's the reality. I'm human. I've made mistakes. I've made peace with those mistakes, and I've come clean on those mistakes. Um, I thought we were the nation and the country of, you know, repent and ask for forgiveness and move forward. The problem is the media fanfare around me continues to spiral. Meanwhile, I'm in my office, I'm taking meetings, I'm answering constituent calls, and I'm signing on to a a litany of um, bills on the House, and we're writing bills out of my office already that are sitting with ledge counsel. So as everybody must be wondering at home if I'm getting things done, you betcha we're getting things done, and we're pretty proud of the work we're putting forward. I was hired by the 142,000 people who elected me to deliver on a conservative agenda. And that's exactly what I'm doing. And you can expect to see nothing but conservative policy coming out of my office while the media spirals out of control.
1: How about your colleagues? To get things done, you need cooperation from colleagues. Uh, certain colleagues, Republicans have said they really want nothing to do with you. Famously, we had that situation with you and Mitt Romney. But how are they treating you?
2: So, look, I know a lot of people uh, think that the sentiment of the six freshman members of Congress from New York is the sentiment of the entire delegation of the entire Congress, and that's just not true. The reality is I won by a decisive margin. I had a very expressive, decisive victory. Some of my colleagues didn't afford the same type of margins, and they're doing the political game. They're, I don't blame them. This isn't personal. Politics isn't personal. People do what they got to do. I don't hold ill will against them. I don't hold any of this personal. I understand The nature of the beast. I'm not a political animal myself, so I just focus on getting the job done and doing what I have to do. If they want to go ahead and join with Democrats and attack their fellow Republicans, so be it. That's their prerogative. The voters are gonna see for themselves what they think is more productive. If it's getting an agenda passed, or if it's attacking your fellow Republican. If it's unseating Ilhan Omar from a committee where she has no place to be on, or as if it's attacking a fellow Republican. I think this is kind of what we're experiencing. We're seeing for the first time, we're getting a lot of transparency transparency and coverage in Congress, you know with the obsession that has become covering anything and everything I do
1: all right now listen, you say you apologize and you 're sorry and uh, you want to get to work, but I want to ask you about um, well Joe Biden now, Joe Biden famously lied throughout his career um, specifically early on about his educational credentials and if Joe Biden were here well i 'd want to know, and anybody who was around back then. He could have been stopped back then. And my concern about you, uh, Congressman, respectfully, is that if you will lie about the small things, of course, maybe you'll lie about the big things. And Joe Biden, we know, he's lied about everything. Um, how can you allay, say, my concerns? I mean, if you're going to embellish about this, that, and the other thing, what about the real stuff when it gets real important?
2: Well, Greg, let's put it this way. I want to be judged based on my actions. If you look at my report card, I right now stand as one of the most conservative members of Congress, keeping to my word that I will vote conservatively for the people of New York's third congressional district, right? Joe Biden, on the other hand, spent a life in a litany of, that spans 47 years. That's just to give you some some perspective. That's 13 years longer than I've been alive. I'm 34 years old. And he spent a litany of his of his entire political life making false promises on campaigns and then reneging them once he gets elected. So that's very different than what, look, I come from a tough background. I come from a tough upbringing. I might've made some stupid decisions and I regret them. And I say this, everybody watching at home, don't do, don't do that you know, be better than that, and I'm doing that. I'm working hard to regain the trust of the voters who sent me here so they understand that nothing about my campaign, my, pro- my propositions of, of what I would do as a member of Congress were a lie. And if you look at my, my voter card and my score, I'm keeping up to that word. All Joe right. Biden, on the, on the other hand, has done an entire career of gaslighting the American people.
1: So, Congressman, there are a lot of people who share your values in terms of, uh, you know, the conservative agenda. Uh, But you got there, apparently, well, actually, I want to ask you, why did you deceive people? Why did you um, lie about college, lie about your experience at Goldman Sachs? What was motivating you? I'm really curious. Was it, did you feel insecure? Were you trying to fool people? Did you think somebody who wasn't a college graduate might not be able to get into Congress? There are a lot of deceptions here, you'll admit, and you have said you're sorry, but what was motivating you?
2: So I want to set the record clear about my work experience. I never lied. I, I never worked for Goldman Sachs or Citigroup directly, but I did work through uh, direct contracts for those firms in the management of limited partners and general partners relationships um, through, a, through a series of uh, cap introduction right. Cong- opportunities Congressman, I, I respect with many I, other I, firms.
1: If you don't mind, Congressman, I have to jump in. I, you understand, though, the net effect was, dece- was deceptive. And I do want to get, yes, people exaggerate on their resumes and embellish, but there are some items here uh, that seem to go beyond that. And I'm just wondering, and we'll talk about Mitt Romney and what happened there, and I do think that God has his hand in everything, but what was motivating you? What were you, was was it insecurity? Brian Williams famously got caught in a bunch of lies and he said, look, I was trying to be something I wasn't because I felt insecure. What was going on inside you?
2: Look, Greg, here's the deal. I would have never gotten the nomination from the Nassau County GOP if I had not concluded college. That was really the main driver because of the way of the nature of their politics over there. It's, it's just plain and simple, right? So I, I made that bad decision. I stand by my work experience, I, I walk the walk, I talk the talk, I know what I'm doing. Uh, I, I have that through a career of success and coming from a basement apartment to being a member of Congress and everything in between, life wasn't kind, the journey wasn't easy, you know, uh, it, I've, I've taken some sacrifices and some hits in the face, but I stand here to say confidently that. To say that I deceived and and it was a campaign of deceit and deception is just not fair. That's just the political spin that the Nassau County GOP wants to create on this narrative. And as you you know, New York politics, it's pretty simple. The party bosses run the narrative and everyone follows suit. And this is what's going on at the moment.
1: Did, Did you survive a brain tumor?
2: Um, I had my own personal medical uh, issues uh, in the past, and I, I don't feel I need to go into details. But yes, I did have uh, a, right. an, an acute tumor. This is what concerns me. Ago, I mean, I it's, survive, it's, it, yes. you'll have to admit,
1: you're a critic of Joe Biden, so am I. But it's very Biden esque to take a kernel of truth and make it into a possibly more appealing story for voters. That's a concern. If you don't mind, let's talk a little bit about how you funded your campaign for Congress. There is a bit of a question mark about how you made your money, where the money came from. I'm looking at uh, loans that were made to the campaign by you, uh, but it's unclear if it's actually your funds or someone else's. $700,000, $700, 120000 cannot- Go ahead, please. Where did the money come from?
2: I can attest that the total of the money was all legitimate money obtained through my legal practices with my company. And I distributed my dividends to myself and loaned it to the campaign. I was all in on this. This wasn't I had my heart and soul on this. This isn't isn't about power. This is about getting stuff done. Having somebody like me come and represent other people who are just like me, simple-minded folks who come from absolutely nothing and have a voice in Congress. That's why when Mitt Romney told me I didn't belong here, I this isn't the first or will it be the last time that somebody has told me I didn't belong and I fought to stay and to be represented and be heard and that's exactly what I'm going to continue to do. No matter how many people come after me, I will always stand strong. As far as far As far as the finances, as you can imagine and appreciate, it is an ongoing uh, inquiry, and we're more than willing and always willing to supply anything that is asked of us. And I stand strong, and I have no no doubt in my mind. They all were atta- all my funds were attained through legitimate reasons and channels, and I have no no fear to say that I will uh, will suffer any ethics issue with that.
1: Your. Um... I, w- I would love it if you could be a bit more specific, though. You're kind of talking a little bit vaguely uh, th- you know, through these loans, you know, there's collateral. There are things that in the past you've said, OK, it didn't come from Russia, it didn't come from China. Uh, you say legitimately, that's a lot of money. It didn't appear that you had jobs that would provide that kind of income where you can make these kinds of loans. So I would love it if you could spe- be a bit more specific because these are these are real sizable figures.
2: Of course, Greg. Devolder Organizations was founded in 2001 when I stepped away from my previous employment, and I decided to go on my own to do exactly what I've did for other companies for years, which is capital introduction, relationship management of high net worth individuals. So I did that, and I started making money on my own. I look. I had a couple of years of experience under my belt in the financial, in the financial world of, of New York City, and I was able to garner relationships throughout that process. And what I did was I was really cashing in all my chips on my name and trying to start a company. And I, I, it successfully started. I, I garnered contracts, and I just went forward with it. And as I started yielding the fruit of, of my work, I started distributing my, my own dividends to myself and, give, and donate, um, loaning it to the campaign.
1: All right. What do we think so far?
2: Coming up next, we
1: ask him about Pedro. Stay with us. Okay, we're back with Congressman George Santos. I talked to him a little while ago and everybody else is talking about him. Here's the rest of our conversation. You're in politics. People go through your stuff. And there's a guy out there named Pedro who claims that he's an ex-boyfriend, possibly a fiance of yours. He's calling you a psychopathic liar. Uh, His words, not mine. And I do understand that the fake news, they can be fake. I don't even know if this guy met you before. But what do you say to Pedro? And do you offer him or anyone else an apology and I'm talking about the people that are telling the media that you hurt them, that you that you really wronged them personally. Have you made amends with them and who is Pedro?
2: So, Greg, I'll I'll be very clear on one point. There is no active investigation with the Ethics Committee that we haven't been notified of. Uh, The committee hasn't, from my understanding, uh, convened yet in order to do that. And if that were to happen, we would be more than willing to comply. As far as who Pedro is and all these other people, I leave one question to you, Greg. If I am this horrible person that uh, deceited and hurt all these people throughout all these years and, and did all these acts of crime, Why did not one single one of them, who have all come out of the woodworks from different walks of life, not gone to the police, filed a police report and sued me or taken me to jail if I were this criminal? Instead I invite everybody to look into these people and look at their backgrounds and what I did for them. I've helped them coming from homeless situations. I've helped them coming into my house and ruining my life, literally, disturbing my entire life with my family and and ruining my marriage. So Pedro is a person I hold with very little respect because of his track record, and because of what he's done, and also I, ch- I challenge everybody to do a little bit of research on all these people who like to come out and attack me, and look into them, and look into their behavior, and to all the things they have done. Right? It's really easy to pile on on me. I'm the new I'm the new favorite punching bag in America. Sure, you can come for me. I understand. I can handle the heat. But I doubt, and I hope, and pray that these folks have the same tenacity and the same strength in them when the media starts looking into them and starts asking them the hard questions, because the reality is, I doubt that Mr. Uh, Pedro would be able to withstand one hour of serious questioning about his behavior, his ethics, and what he did to my family and I.
1: Wrapping up, you know, the other uh, couple of weeks ago when you were uh, all considering who the next speaker would be, and Speaker McCarthy has been rather supportive of you, and he's been, or you've been supportive of him, but you were sitting there by yourself uh, for a while, and quite frankly, I was kind of, I was saddened and I was kind of moved by these pictures I I think we've all been there at one point or another, kind of on our own, whether it was in high school or some scenario where, you know, it just felt like we were the only person in the world. You worked pretty hard to be a member of Congress and then you get there and they're treating you. Well, nobody seemed to want to be friends with you. What was that like? And again, my heart kind of went out for you at that moment. We all have done whatever. But um, what was that like?
2: Was that painful? So, Greg, uh, just to be very clear, that entire segment of pictures and imagery were taken within a span of 30 minutes that I sat in that position. I am walking into the United States House of Representatives in the chambers for the first time uh, with a voting card and a pin. I I was just taking it all in, trying to understand. I was looking around. I was trying to get my footing, understand how things work. I didn't even know about the cloakroom behind me. or else I would have probably been sitting in there just trying to understand and grasp everything. But if you notice, that was really exploited because I sat there, I got there very early. There was very little people in the chambers yet. And I sat there for about 30 minutes looking around, trying to understand, texting back with my family, just like, oh my God, this is surreal kind of situation in here. And that's, that's what that moment right. was. It wasn't a moment I'm of. I'm glad. Being I'm relieved. <laughs> I'm, I'm
1: relieved, Congressman, really, because <laughs> uh, for a moment there. All right, last, last thing. Mitt Romney, yesterday. Uh, you know, Mitt Romney was mobbed because he had a conversation with you. I think we have footage. Uh, there are about 15 reporters following him around because he talked to you. Maybe you heard. I was, um, I was annoyed with Mitt Romney. I think he could have offered you some generosity, maybe some advice. There are a million places to meet on Capitol Hill. He claimed not to hear what you said. You said something back to him. He claimed not to hear it. Uh, number one, is he telling the truth? And number two, what did you say?
2: I'll put it this way: It's not meant for television. What I said back to him, <laughs> but I can tell you one thing: He did hear me. And Kirsten Cinema, uh, as she was walking by the senator from Arizona, she said something to the effects of "Hang in there, buddy," or something like that. I said, "Thank you, thank you, uh, Madam Senator." She was very polite, very kind-hearted, as as I've learned to to, to see her. Uh, she's a good person, unlike Mr. Romney, who thinks he's above it all and is in a whole, whole almighty white horse. Trying to talk to us down on morality. The reality is, he's always been a preju- He's always has prejudice towards minority. He had it in his 2012 election, and that is why he didn't become president when he absolutely had the opportunity to become president. And that's why I was very clear when I said on Twitter, "You will never be president because you would never represent all Americans."
1: I didn't hear that about the uh, the prejudice, but boy, oh boy, was he a loser, beaten by Candy Crowley of all people in a debate. Well, it's kind of fascinating what happened to you. Please come back. Uh, sometime congressman congressman george santos republican of long island new york you, you bet you bet thank you very much we'll be right back
0: you're a podcast listener and this is a podcast ad reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads
3: European American Armory Corp, or EAA Corp, is specialized in providing high-quality, innovative, and reasonably priced firearms to the U.S. since 1990. You can choose from a wide selection of unique and traditional pistols. Whether you're looking for a concealed carry, revolver, shotgun, or competition pistol, EAA Corp has it. EAA's 1911 series comes in compact carry or full-size in three popular calibers. If you're first time gun owner, EAA Corps all-in-one nine millimeter MC9 striker fire pistols come fully equipped in a sleek, light, ergonomic package, ideal for everyday carry. In addition, their lineup includes the MC three twelve series of twelve gauge shotguns for hunting, sporting, tactical, or personal defense that will exceed your expectations. There is a limited lifetime warranty on every series available today at EAA Corp. EAA Corp says get the quality firearm you've always wanted and save yourself a lot of hard-earned money. Visit EAA Corp.com. That's EAA Corp.com to learn more and order online or through your local dealer.
1: All right, the FBI. We used to love it. Not so much anymore. Sorry they have lost their way. And we know for sure those whistleblowers. More have come forward. There was a hearing today in Washington, D.C., and I consider these folks uh, heroes for what they're saying. And you know what? Sometimes whistleblowers, they can be, I don't know, a little bit far out there, not representative of what's really going on. I think these people totally know what's going on. The first witness, uh, Nicole Parker.
0: Over the course of my 12 plus years, the FBI's trajectory has transformed. On Bureau, The the bureau's mission remained the same, but its priorities and governing principles shifted dramatically. The FBI became politically weaponized, starting from the top in Washington and trickling down to the field offices. Although FBI employees have their First Amendment rights, they are not at the liberty to allow their personal political views or preferences to determine their course of action or inaction in any investigation. Lady Justice must remain blind.
1: She was great. And from what I'm hearing, <laughs> she represents about, I don't know, uh, 500 to 1,000 other agents who feel exactly the same way. All right, there's more. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard, uh, former Democratic congresswoman, although former Democrat, she left the party. And she has been the target of so much hate from so many people, but she has unique insight into what's going on at the FBI. This is much
4: bigger than me or any one individual. When those who dare to challenge the establishment are targeted by this powerful conglomerate of government, corporate media,
1: and big tech, weaponizing all that they have against the people for their own selfish gain, it has a dangerous chilling effect on free speech, and it sends a very powerful message. If you dare to challenge us, we will come after you. The more we allow this to happen, we start looking less and less like a democratic republic and more and more like a banana republic. Instead of a government ordained to secure these rights, we are now increasingly facing a government determined to take those rights away. I'm so encouraged, and I have so much optimism when I hear from people like this. Really, for all the negativity that's out there, there are some brave, very smart people out there. Oh, and one of them is Harriet Hageman. She's the one who replaced Liz Cheney as the congresswoman from Wyoming.
4: Through the testimony of our witnesses today and the points made by my colleagues, it is clear that the culture and mission of the FBI and DOJ has changed in a manner which runs counter to the rights and liberties of the American people. The purpose of government is to secure our natural rights. Yet the testimony we have heard and the information received from the whistleblowers and other investigative findings has shown that the FBI's mission has moved from securing those rights to using them as a predicate for investigating and surveilling the American people and weaponizing their government structure against them.
1: She's spot on. All of these people, the whistleblowers, great, great people. But you won't be seeing them on the cover of Time magazine No, they only value and appreciate those whistleblowers who come after Republicans, especially Donald Trump, right? All right, so what are our specific grievances with the FBI? Uh, I have a few. Number one, making a federal case a total overreaction to January 6th, the largest investigation ever. Are you kidding me? How about trying to stop Donald Trump from becoming president in 2016? And here's the smoking gun proof. The text messages, oh, they try to explain this stuff away. No, there is no explaining this away. They colluded to try to stop Trump. Talk about anti-democratic. This is, and they tried it again in 2020. If you believe the Twitter files, like I do, they colluded with big tech to stop uh, Trump in 2020 and to, to get everybody's attention off of the Hunter Biden laptop. And also, I'm sorry, but when it comes to basic police work and... Keeping people safe, there have been grievous failures. Think about it. The JFK assassination. They had a lead on Lee Harvey Oswald weeks before the assassination. Waco, the Branch Davidians, 9-11, and Whitey Bolger. First him getting away, and then they didn't find him for 12 years. They're not good. Sorry. And why did they make a federal case out of Ashley Biden's diary? You know, Ashley Biden, daughter of the president, lost her diary and FBI agents were brought in on that case. So the FBI needs help big time. And the real threats that face America, if they are ooh, if they could be construed as politically incorrect, don't ask them for help.
3: You m useless you, white whore. Dirty white. You won't look down at me. You.
1: Okay, this is Frank James. Uh, He shot up a subway car last year here in New York City, 10 people. He also planted a couple of bombs. He is clearly what they used to call a black identity extremist. It was a law enforcement term, actually. Uh, They had big files on black identity extremists until things started to change at the FBI and culture in general, this woke craze. And you can't say that anymore. And they made the FBI director promise that he wouldn't say it anymore.
3: So nobody's being surveilled or investigated on the black and any extremism. We don't, use, we don't use that
1: terminology anymore. That was part of the reorganization of all of our domestic terrorism threat categorization. That terminology went away uh, as part of this racially motivated violent extremism category. If you won't acknowledge something as a problem, it's really hard to fight the problem. And Director Ray there just mentioned domestic terrorism. I wonder if it applied to the case no one is talking about. Two lawmakers have been murdered, shot, and killed in New Jersey, both Republicans in about a seven day time span. Have you heard about this case? Two Republicans? I mean, I haven't heard a peep. About it, trying to get to the bottom of it, no one really seems to have any answers here. Can you imagine if these were Democrats? Hmm? What would have happened? Huh? The alarm bells that would have, the cancellations, the censorship that would have happened, right? Uh, Paul Pelosi gets hit on the head in a living room in California, and it's Trump's fault. Two people murdered. This is awful. All right, but then again, Ashley Biden lost her diary. Okay, let's keep our priorities uh, straight. And by the way, what is it with the FBI and doing favors for Joe? What do they see in Joe Biden? I see very little. The other night was a disgraceful performance. The only thing that was really great was when he was called out on his own lies in real time. Fantastic. Anyway, he somehow thinks he did a good job and he's hitting the road with the same lies.
4: A lot of Republicans, their dream is to cut Social Security, Medicare. Well, let me just say this. It's your dream, but I'm going to, my veto pen, make it a nightmare. Ooh, you're
1: going to veto it, huh? You're going to veto something that's never going to reach your desk? Because no Republicans are talking about what you talked about in 1995.
4: I, when I argued that we should freeze federal spending, I meant Social Security as well. I meant Medicare and Medicaid. I meant Veterans Bank. I meant every single solitary thing in the government. And I not only tried it once, I tried it twice, I tried it a third time, and I tried it a fourth time.
1: This man, everything he was saying for his career was pretty stupid. Everybody knew that about him. Not very smart uh, and no experience whatsoever in real life. Two years in the private sector, two years. And now he's telling industries what to do, how they should run themselves. Uh, Joe sees himself, though as kind of a captain of industry. You ever hear him boast like this?
4: Look, I'm a capitalist. You've heard me say this before. Look, I'm a capitalist. I'm not anti-business. I'm a capitalist. I'm a capitalist. Look, you've heard me say it before. I'm a capitalist. I'm a capitalist. I'm not trying to punish anybody. Huh. He's a capitalist. He's actually a very envious
1: person of all the successful... Capitalists out there, he wants a cut. I firmly believe this. Listen to, there's an edge of bitterness when he talks about the success of people who didn't go into government for their entire life.
4: Fifty-four, I believe, of the maybe fifty-three of the Fortune 500 companies that made forty billion dollars. You and know how much money they made in the third and fourth quarter? I mean, the second and third quarter, one. Hundred billion dollars. One hundred billion. No. It's outrageous. I, I I want them to make money. That's fine by me. But the last six months, the six largest oil companies made more than a hundred billion dollars in profit. Exxon made more money than God.
1: Yeah, there is a resentfulness. That's what I perceive. And Joe sees himself as just as important, just as successful these titans of industry who made all that money. He actually told Kitty Kelly early in his senatorial uh, career, uh, we can come to the point only when our salaries fully reflect the magnitude of our duties and responsibilities. He thought as a United States senator, he should be making millions upon millions of dollars because we're that important. Anyway, back to his road show. He is on the road. And unfortunately for him, he's sitting down with reporters. He's way too cocky right now. And he thinks he's good when he's not, making huge mistakes, disgraced himself over China. And then there was this.
4: There was a deliberate effort by the last guy to, uh, to play on people's fears and to uh, appeal to uh, base instincts. I mean, uh, and it's it, it just it's not who we are.
1: Play on people's fears. I'd like to hear him. Make the case how Donald Trump actually did that. He'd have to make up a lot of stuff and lie. I can show you proof, though, how he played on people's fears and tried to rip us all apart.
4: Watch. The Capitol Police, the D.C. Metropolitan Police, other law enforcement agencies were attacked and assaulted before our very eyes. Speared, sprayed, stomped on, brutalized. And lives were lost and for 3 hours the defeated former president of the united states watched it all happen as he sat in the comfort of the private dining room next to the oval office while he was doing that brave law enforcement officer subject to the medieval hell for 3 hours
1: medieval hell i mean this is a this is a guy telling ghost stories on purpose he's like trying to scare little kids this could even scare me give me bad dreams uh, all right, a little bit more here. What else is wrong with the world? Oh, it's
4: too mean, he says I think that most Americans are of the view that uh, um, we've gotten this it's gotten too mean it's gotten too uh too uh personal gotten too divisive
1: uh too divisive, too mean, huh. Anybody remember the Philadelphia fiasco when he went there with the red background and the Marines and talked about MAGA and how we're all a clear and present danger and we hate democracy and the Constitution? He's saying that about us. This is not a man who's about uh, kindness. No, he's not, unfortunately. And the balloon fiasco, the balloon fiasco. Uh, Media are tiptoeing around the subject. And the swamp gave him cover. He is now allowed to say with a straight face that more balloons crossed the country when Trump was president.
4: You know, there were several of these balloons that during the, the last administration they didn't even know they were there. They didn't even do anything about them.
1: <laughs> yeah, some anonymous swamp officials said something to that effect. We didn't see any balloons, right? That China balloon was discovered by people in Montana. Just looking up into the sky. Where did these balloons actually happen? He is such a liar and has been his entire life. A couple of other quick things. He just gets things fundamentally wrong and has no memory. Take a look.
4: The idea that the Russian military, with over 100,000 forces, would invade and try to maraud Ukraine and us stand by and do nothing? Come on. I'm not so sure he has... uh is certain what he's going to do. My guess is he will move in. He has to do something. Know what I mean? He gave Putin
1: a green light. Look, Joe Biden's deception is light years worse than that man we just met, George Santos. Light years. And the consequences, the consequences of Joe's lies, so much more severe. Remember when he lied to everybody? 50 million people watching the debate. The Hunter Biden laptop? What was it again?
4: There are 50 former national intelligence folks who said that what this he's accusing me of is a Russian plant. They have said that this is, has all the... Four, five former heads of the CIA, both parties, say what he's saying is a bunch of garbage. Nobody believes it except them. his and his good friend Rudy Gianni. You mean the laptop is now
1: yeah. another Russia, Russia, Russia hoax?
4: And that's exactly what this is called. where he's going.
1: George Santos could live to the age of a thousand <laughs> and wouldn't lie like that. Won't get to lie like that. Yet nobody ever asked him about this. He can go in front of uh, nationally known journalists And it has no fear, no fear that that's going to be asked, because it's not going to be asked. She won't do it. The media who hang out at the White House, they won't do it. Hey, Joe, what is your explanation? You lied to us about the laptop. Wouldn't your resignation be appropriate? I'll be right back. All right, George Santos, thinking about our conversation from earlier tonight. Uh, Let's see. Okay, he said some things. He's apologized. Uh, All the things he's accused of saying that were not true, nothing comes even close to the sin committed by Democrat Senator, United States Senator Richard Blumenthal from Connecticut. You know, stolen valor, it's one of the lowest things you can do. Say you'd engaged in combat when you didn't this guy said he was a vietnam vet and he's not
2: we have learned something very important since the days that i served in vietnam and you exemplify it whatever we think about the war whatever we call it afghanistan or iraq we owe our military men and women unconditional support
1: did you hear that he served in vietnam No, he didn't. He served in suburban Washington, D.C. That's as far as he got. And he's not hassled. Can I see that crowd around uh, George Santos one more time? Why don't they do this to Blumenthal? Why don't they try to ask these questions of, uh, of, of the president? Richard Blumenthal just said he served in a war that he didn't serve in. In fact, he joined a specialized unit that he knew would not go to Vietnam. That's why, that's what he was about, not serving in Vietnam, it's amazing. Hey, uh, you know what President Bill Clinton said about some of this stuff? When it comes to politics, when it comes to your resume? (laughs) Hey, everybody exaggerates a little bit, check it out.
4: Now, some of you might think I've been busy writing my memoirs. I'm not concerned about my memoirs, I'm concerned about my resume. (laughs) I'm working hard on this resume deal, I've been getting a lot of tips on how to write it, mostly from my staff, they really seem to be up on this stuff. (laughs) And they tell me I have to use the active voice with a resume, you know, things like commanded U.S. Armed Forces, ordered airstrikes, served three terms as president. Everybody embellishes a little. (laughs) Pretty good joke.
1: And he's right. He's right. Joe Biden embellished. He didn't embellish. He lied. All right. What a swampy place. The swamp, huh? Andrea Mitchell. You ever heard about her? She's an anchor on MSNBC and she thinks she's uh, all that. And I guess in the swamp. Well, she is all that. I see her anchor the news and I think, okay, there's a woman anchoring the news. You know, that Penn Biden Center. Guess what? The Penn Biden Center is a subsidiary of her school at the University of Pennsylvania, the Andrea Mitchell Center for the Study of Democracy. The Penn Biden Center fell under the Andrea Mitchell Center for the Study of Democracy. Uh, That's pretty wild, isn't it? And uh, all that money from China, all that. I wonder if she got any money from China, huh? Seventy. How much money went to the University of Pennsylvania? Yeah, that's a lot of money. And I found her to be very, I always find her to be very anti-Trump and sometimes pro-China and always defending Joe.
4: President Trump is winding down a presidency that broke so many norms with a chaotic month of false claims, political attacks against leading members of his own party, and grievances that he promises to carry into political battles yet to come. He cannot stick to a subject. It is remarkable. And when he doesn't know something, he just
2: changes the subject and makes it all about himself. National sec- he is completely uneducated about any part of the world. He is not playing by anybody's ground rules except Donald Trump's.
1: Completely uneducated. Well, maybe he needs to go to the Andrea Mitchell Center for the study of democracy. What a joke and what a swamp. Be right back. All right. This is Mark Pomerantz, a Trump-hating lawyer who volunteered his services at a local district attorney's office uh, trying to make the case against Trump. Well, they couldn't. They didn't have the evidence, so they didn't bring the case. This guy, however, Pomerantz, is convinced there is a case, so he goes out and writes a book about the case that did not happen. One of those, if only they listened to me. Well, he was on 60 Minutes, And then he gets a full hour on MSNBC selling what I believe is a pretty crummy book. And he's a bad guy. But he says he's a good guy. And why did he write this book?
4: At that point, I had a kind of personal decision to make. Do I keep my mouth shut? uh, Go about my business? uh,
1: Or do I speak out? And I decided ultimately that... I had a moral obligation to speak out. A moral obligation to speak out. Well, let's see just how moral this guy is. Again, he's frustrated that his boss didn't file charges, uh, and he gets to write a book about it. Well, remember Alan Weisselberg, the longtime Trump Organization employee? What did they finally get him on? (laughs) Like not paying taxes on a company car. I mean, the kind of stuff that's never prosecuted. Well, listen to how Mr. Uh, Morality approached him. Listen to the stunt they pulled. Kerry and I also discussed calling Weisselberg's lawyer to fire a warning shot over his bow. We could say that we might be coming after Weisselberg without specifying what we had on him, which was very little at that point, in the hope that he would get scared and fall into our laps as a witness. How about that, huh? Bluffing. This is the way it works in the legal world? I guess it is, huh? This is Mr. Morality. By the way... Remember Stormy Daniels, they try to revive this case. They try to get Trump in trouble over the Stormy Daniels situation, Um, but he can't do it. He can't. Listen to how he bends over backwards trying. So to
4: charge Trump with something other than a misdemeanor,
1: Danny would have to argue that the intent to commit or conceal a federal crime had converted the falsification of the
4: records into a felony.
1: Nobody in the office knew what he was talking about. That, by the way, had never, ever been tried before. And he wonders why uh, the bosses and his colleagues thought that this guy was a kook. (laughs) And they were not going to go forward uh, with these cases. But he does get to try to sell the book on MSNBC for a full hour and 60 minutes. You want a real book, all right, that was written with integrity, in my humble opinion? This book, my book, Justice for All, How the Left is wrong about law enforcement. I'm not going to get on 60 Minutes, not an hour on the network TV, but we have us, right? I hope you'll support me. Uh, It was a privilege to have this opportunity, and I think you'll like the book. It talks about how the left is wrong and what we can do to fix it. Thank you, and I'll be right back. Hey, thank you for your support. You know, AT&T, DirecTV, you know what they did to us, right? You can't get the Greg Kelly show on 13 million TV sets that had the show just about two weeks ago. Please consider calling and uh, supporting us and supporting free speech. There are the numbers. You can also go to IWantNewsMax.com. And thank you to those who have done it, including our friends in Washington, D.C. We do have friends in high places. And that's pretty nice. So, but you're the most important, uh, the folks from Coast to Coast who watch this show. Many, many thanks, and I'll see you tomorrow.